We're talking NFL trends and New York Giants future with NFL analyst and former New York Giants front office member, Mark Ross. That's coming up next on the Locked on Giants podcast. You are Locked on Giants, your daily New York Giants podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, New York Giant fans, and welcome to another edition of the Locked On Giants podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast family, your team every day. I am Patricia Trainer, your host. Thank you so much for joining us, making us your first listen of the day or watching on YouTube, your first watch of the day. And on today's show, I have NFL Network analyst Mark Ross. A lot of you Giant fans will probably remember him. He is the uh, Giants' former director of, I'm sorry, former vice president of player evaluation. So he is here to talk about some NFL trends. We're going to talk a little bit of Giants little bit Saquon on the contract situation and Mark's going to give us his expertise from, you know, to to maybe give us a little insight into what's going on. So Mark, thank you so much for joining us. Sure thing. Pleasure being here. All right. Awesome. So Mark, let's start off by talking a little bit about the NFL. Now we know the NFL is a copycat league. Um, There are trends that come through the college that make their way to the NFL. And then, you know, winning teams will will pick these trends up and suddenly everybody wants to do it. When you look at some of the trends over the most recent years, what are some of the real big ones that maybe we weren't seeing a few years ago? Well, you know, I definitely think the first one was the the all in method of, of, of winning a Super Bowl, where for years all it was talked about is build through the draft and make smart uh, free agent decisions and the long term. And then, you know, once kind of the Rams and Rams and Bucks back to back kind of had that all in, particularly the Rams with, you know, how they just, all right, let's go just get, get Stafford and Vaughn and Odell and, and, uh, and let's all go for it, get rid of all these draft picks. And, th- and then they win. So that makes everybody else say, well, wait a minute now, can we do this too? And then of course, with Tom Brady going to the Bucks. Now that model is just go get the Hall of Fame quarterback. And now you're seeing that with with the Jets and let's go get Aaron Rodgers and everything will be will will be solved. And let's go all in on that. So since the day one, when I started scouting, you know, that sort of philosophy was was frowned upon and looked at as do not try to build a team that way. It doesn't work. And since we've seen that work now, that's sort of a new trend to say, you know what, it can work. Uh, Maybe we'll try that. And And it's you're seeing it this year again, the Jets. I think will be the perfect test case of, all right, is this going to work again? Or was that sort of just an anomaly for those couple of years because of very super special circumstances with Tom Brady and then with the Rams, how they got a collection of sort of future Hall of Famers together. So, I mean, why do you think that's been so successful, that model? Because obviously I think, you know, the, the thought process is you draft, you develop, you, you retain your own talent because you know what you're getting. And now you're bringing in guys from the outside that were developed elsewhere. So what has made that model so successful, do you think? Well, I think those two were really, as I mentioned, just super special circumstances. One, there's only one Tom Brady. And that's what really what made the Bucks thing work. They had a nice collection of talent, but just a very average team overall. But you insert Tom Brady into that situation, it changes everything. So there's only one Tom Brady that's ever walked the face of this earth, and it's really going to 
only be that. You know, the Jets, again, bringing that up, they're going to try to see the Aaron Rodgers. I don't think Aaron Rodgers is the same sort of circumstances Tom Brady, so that might be a struggle there. And then with the Rams, the all-in that they were were able to get all-in on some future Hall of Famers, Von Miller. Odell's not a future Hall of Famer, but what he could contribute was, you know, very special of what he could contribute. And Jalen Ramsey locking him up and getting Stafford in there, of course, hit it right. You know, Stafford, who always had shown the talent, you know, they're not, you're not just going to insert a quarterback of that talent and that level. So both of those sort of situations had a lot of unique circumstances. And that's why it's so hard to, in the NFL, the copycat, why it's so hard to do that, because each one of those sort of situations is special, similar to, to the Giants team in 07, where, hey, just go get four guys that rush Tom Brady and, 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 Fluster him. That's the new way. Get for well. You got to have Michael Strahan and OC Ubinura and Justin Tuck. You know those are special dudes who who were able to accomplish what we were accomplished. You can't just throw anybody in there to sort of replicate a special uh, special game plan or special circumstance of team building like that. You also look at on the field. Tight ends seem to be making a really big push, if you will. I mean, you see in Kansas City, Travis Kelsey is their number one receiver. You know, over in New York, the Giants are looking at Darren Waller as a potential number one receiver. What advantage does having the tight end as your de facto number one receiver give an offense? Well, I think the NFL, once it started embracing the tight end as receiver model of, as opposed to, yeah, I'll start, I always start when I first started scouting, big tight end block give you a little bit in the past game is great, but each year it evolved, evolved more until the athletic hybrid type. And that was frowned upon a lot, you know, until you got this new wave of coaches and scouts and offenses in there to really highlight the, the tight end more and embrace it more as opposed to, Hey, this guy can't block. We can't get him on the field. Now it's no, let's find a way to have this special athlete that we have as a tight end. And it's not as if, a receiver where you're putting a corner out there on them, you know that guy's covering a tight end. They create those mismatches because who do you put on him, all right? If he's a super athletic Kelsey or Waller, all right, you put this safety on him, man, he's just too small, or DB, they're too small, they can't handle him. Well, bigger linebacker, let's put, well, they're, they're not athletic enough. So they create many more problems now if they're Kittle as well, those sort of guys, because – it's the problem of matching up. Who do you actually match up with them as opposed to you got a great receiver, you know, you're putting a corner on them and you you may have a chance, but the tight ends just create that much more of a difference and a mismatch because of who we got to get to, to stop this guy. You know, we, we look at the, the league today and, and a great mystery, and maybe you could shed some light on this is the devaluation of running backs. I mean, this is a position that, runs the ball, can catch the ball, they can block, they can do all kinds of things for you. Why has that position become so lessened in terms of value over the years? I think you just saw, number one, the the pass game, how important, more important the pass game became. And you talked about learning. And, you know, when I first started scouting, the smaller schools were the schools that were doing all the wide open spread, a lot of movement, you know, the, the smaller colleges, let's say, that I went to. And it was always you're trying to fit college guys into what the NFL was doing. Well, each year the NFL started embracing the college way of doing things. And now 
that's just kind of what all you do. And with that, the, the running back isn't as important. And even if they are, you know, I think Derrick Henry is the closest model to the old school of he's our offense. Saquon a little bit now with the Giants, but but you saw the limitations of Derek, the Derrick Henry offense of having him your focal point. You still need that quarterback to make plays. You still need the pass game to make plays. And it's just the shelf life of running backs where you see, you've seen phenomenal year or two from backs. Boom, a year later, they're gone. Uh, you know, so, you know, Todd Gurley is the perfect example of that. But you've seen Ezekiel Elliott most recently where these guys – one or two years of the best running backs in the league, lead the league in rushing, and now you know, the guys are out on the street. And it's just hard for a running back to sustain that excellence over a long period of time. And with that, as you're building your roster, well, we're not going to invest a whole lot into that position because of the short shelf life and what the production we're going to get out of that position, particularly if you have to pay him a bunch of money and with injuries as a factor and really – two or three guys, especially of what they can do in the running back position is has shown to be better than one guy trying to do it all. And also it's been proven of getting the low, the value in the second, you know, fourth round, fifth round, free agents last year, just those sort of backs where you can put those guys into offenses and they can produce. So the, the combination of the short shelf life and the value of not the production over a long period of time combined with, well, all these Super Bowl teams are winning with these guys that weren't high draft picks. All of that has kind of contributed to the devaluation of the position. We'll talk a little bit more about Saquon coming up, but I've got to ask this question because I haven't, I, I keep forgetting to ask people this. I'll ask you the new kickoff return rule. I know a lot of people across the league hate it. I don't like it either because I think it takes a strategic element out of the game. How do you think special teams coordinators might work around that so that they don't lose, you know, the advantage of having a kicker that can maybe get a squib kick or, or um, you know, pin a guy at the one yard line and, and force a return? Yeah. So first of all, the NFL is doing that because of the player safety. I mean, that's really what it's all about. And for years they've been studying it and most of the sort of high impact injuries come on those kickoff sort of plays because you got guys, there's no other time in a game where guys coming from so far away are just running into each other at full speed and thus the injuries. So, you know, in defending sort of the NFL, that's what, that's what it's all about. It's not to take away the fun of the game and uh, limit big plays. It's really for the safety and trying to find a way to, okay, let's see if this works. Let's study this, see if it works, see if it limits the amount of plays. And if not, let's adjust and change. So I think this is a, a really an experiment for them to see if they can combine the safety with, all right, as you mentioned, coaches, you, you get paid to coach. So let's find ways to see how we're going to maximize this play and still get get big plays or advantage advantageous field position out of this new rule. Is there a way though? I mean, you know, a guy can field the ball any place and take the fair yeah, catch. I mean, and- if they're just going to do that, no. Uh, you know, as far as still scheming up returns, that'll have to do it. But, you know, as we've seen that in the last few years where kickers are just kicking the ball in the end zone now and they're starting over anyway, it's it's sort of the same thing, just in a different form. 
Hey, Giant fans, take your first swing at betting Major League Baseball on FanDuel and get 10 times your first bet amount in bonus bets, up to $200. That's right. Just bet $20 and you'll land $200 in bonus bets, win or lose. That's $200 that you can spend betting on everything from the money line to the over-under to who you think is going to hit the first home run. All of this on an app that's safe, secure, and super easy to use. Plus, when you win, you can get paid instantly. There's no better place to bet on Major League Baseball than FanDuel, America's number one sports book. Sign up today and visit FanDuel.com slash locked on to get $200 in bonus bets. That's FanDuel.com slash locked on. FanDuel, official partner of Major League Baseball. Let's talk about Saquon Barkley. He's currently locked in a contract impasse with the Giants. But from your experience, and I know I don't think you did a whole lot with contracts when you were with the Giants or with any of the NFL teams. How much is worry should uh, people have that this thing is going right down to the wire? Is this standard and normal practice? Yeah, you know, I didn't do the contracts, but we all worked together there in the front office with with. Jerry Reese, the GM, myself, Kevin Abrams was doing the contracts. So we all worked together with that. And, you know, Kevin drove, drove all that, but we all talked about it and discussed. But, yeah, I don't think you always hear this panic at first when, when people aren't talking to them, you know, even amongst in the building. But you, you're in the building, you're a little bit more calm about it because you're always sort of in communication with the agents and you, you kind of have the pulse and the lay of the land of what's going on. So those people within that building know a lot more than what's getting put out there in the public and may have a better uh, certainty about what's going to happen than what's getting put out in the public. So, you know, of course, as Giants fans, you want everything done right now. Let's get it set. We don't have to worry moving forward. Uh, But that's just sort of common practice as you've seen happen. And before the deadline, boom, that, you know, the minute before the deadline, it gets done or however many, 10 minutes before the deadline. So, I wouldn't panic just yet. There's still some time to get get things done with Saquon. Probably because neither side wants to to a leave money on the table or put too much money on the table. I would think. I mean, yeah, yeah. At first, you don't want to show your best hand, and then as things get a little more tense and down to the wire, you start getting a little bit more realistic, a little bit more desperate. All right, let's really make things happen now, as opposed to not wanting to give away field position on what you're doing. Okay, now the clock is running down and then the two minute warning. Like, let's let's get this, let's try to win this game. When you look at Saquon's contributions to the Giants, I mean, arguably when he's been on the field, you could say that he's been the offense. I mean, he he's powered that offense. This year, the Giants added a bunch of new playmakers um, to hopefully take some of the onus off of him. So that being said, how does that factor into determining his value, or do you separate that from determining his value? And that's the the tricky thing with Saquon. And he's sort of, when I look at him, is the Derrick Henry of the NFC. And where they're, they're really, he is the one running back that the team relies on. And it was, you clearly watched Giants games. As Saquon went, the Giants went. Yeah, it was almost three quarters, they're doing nothing. Boom, Saquon rips off a big run in the fourth quarter. Here they go. You know, and you saw that over and over uh, Detroit kind of figured that out when they played Detroit, where let's just do everything possible to stop this guy. And they, it was, it was a struggle a little bit from there for the giants. I think they went two, five, two, five and one since, you know, after that game. So that's the interesting thing going into this year is yes, 
they are their best version. Giants offense, best version of itself when Saquon is rolling and he's a focal point and he's ripping off big plays. All right. Now you've got Darren Waller in there and, and uh, you brought Paris Campbell. Is he the answer? You, you brought some bodies in there. Jalen Hyde, you bring him, draft him. Is he going to be ready? So you've got these other playmakers that you want to be playmakers in there. Does that take away from Saquon and free him up more to be a better player or is it too relying on Daniel Jones trying to get it to those other guys to make things happen? So that's sort of the interesting thing. But, and as I mentioned, as we mentioned, we just talked about the devaluation of that running back position. We saw with even in Saquon's short career already, the phenomenal rookie season, the injuries, here come the injuries down a couple of years. Doesn't look the same. Okay. Now last year he's back for most of the year, then gets slowed down. So now going into next year is, are we, are, is the giants getting, Vintage Saquon Barkley, the, the phenomenon, or 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 more injuries coming, and that's the t- the tricky part about the contract is that, as particularly with the running back, is going forward, what's going to happen? A lot more certainty with a quarterback or a left tackle or a receiver. What you're going to get years to come when you pay them in their prime? The uncertainty with with Saquon, with the running back position, with his value. It's it's really a fascinating case study of new wave football contract structure versus the, the traditional way of doing things. So you see an Ezekiel Elliott get cut and he's still out there. You see Dalvin Cook get cut. He's still out there. You see Miles Sanders, who who maybe is not quite in that, that same group, no disrespect to him. He gets a contract for less than $10 million a year. That all being said, what do you think Saquon's APY probably lands in, and I understand APY is not the real number you want to look at, but still, you know, that's the number we kind of look at when, when we, you know, stack them up. So where's Saquon's value, do you think, in terms of an APY? Yeah. And that's, and, and that's what the Giants are looking at. As you mentioned, the two best running backs in the league, you know, Ezekiel Elliott, like we paid these guys a ton of money and now they're on the street. Dalvin Cook, arguably in the NFC was the best back and he's, he's just hanging out there waiting for something to happen. And, that's when you get into those numbers and those figures of the Giants or you know, whatever that that number is. Are we comfortable with that? And, and seeing what has happened and looking, you know, you've got to learn from history in, in this league. And, man, what do we feel comfortable with? And, of course, Saquon wants a certain number, and he rightfully so. You know, I, I want all players to get what they deserve. But when you're just looking at it as a business model, of course, you look at him. Was he as good as Zeke and, and Dalvin? He's better than Miles Sanders. He should get more than that. But there's a lot more that goes into it where sort of each case, each contract is so special and individualized that it makes it hard to just say he should get that number because he's better than this guy and better than that guy. And that's what really the Giants are trying to figure out. When a player gets a big contract, is there a temptation to – Really run him ragged. I mean, you look at Saquon, obviously. Um, he's been playing like 80% of the snaps in the yeah. years that he's been healthy, which is a lot, you know. And then you look at the touches, you know, I think they're they've got a winning record when he has 20 or more touches and whatnot, but still they do have a short shelf life. So do you take that into consideration or do you just say, look, I'm gonna get my money's worth? Yeah, and that's the the tough part. They are the best version of their offense when he's getting a lot of touches and when he's producing, getting a lot of touches. And, okay, now you're paying him. Yeah, I don't know how much more they can run him ragged because they they do that, you know, for the most part. But 
obviously the uh, uh, the best version would be okay a balanced offense and Saquon is making plays still within that balanced offense with Waller opening things up and Daniel Jones improving on what he can do and okay you still have that big play threat because you, really when you look at Saquon it's the huge plays to me when that when that's what sets everything up for the Giants it's not just the two or three yard runs which he's gotten better at last year but it's really those huge plays that he brings that makes him special. So, yeah, that is – all right, now we pay this guy. We're going to get our money's worth. Is it for a year? Is it for two years? How long is this guy going to hold up? And that's the conundrum. The more touches we get him, the more chance for injuries. If we don't give him a lot of touches, do we get the production we need? Are we getting our money's worth? Are we getting big plays out of him with less touches? All of that has to really be figured out. Again, what makes it so fascinating with him, with no other team outside of the Derrick Henry Titans are really built like this where the focal point is the back. Hey, Giant fans, if you haven't checked out the subtext community here at the Locked On Giants podcast, what are you waiting for? We're offering a free 14-day trial. And after that, for a limited time, if you like the service, you can get two months for the price of one. The subtext community is a great way for me to communicate with all of you personally. I've been texting already with the members who have signed up. We've been doing one-on-one texting. I've been offering them exclusive uh, opportunities to take part in certain features that are coming up here on the Lockdown Giants podcast. And I just really enjoy the personal touch that I'm able to give to all my listeners and readers. So check it out. The details are in the show notes. There's no obligation. Remember, free for 14 days. And if you don't like it, all you have to do is cancel before your 14-day trial ends and you own nothing. Check it out. The link is in the show notes to get more information and to sign up. All right. Now I want to pivot over to Daniel Jones because he's the other half of this equation here. Um, first off, I want to get your take on the contract Daniel Jones got. It looks like it's, even though it's a four-year contract, it looks like it's technically a two-year deal that they can get out of if they decide, you know, he's not the guy. So, I mean, what did you think about the, the value? Was he overpaid, do you think? Yeah, I think when you talk about quarterbacks being overpaid, they all are with when you look at it, whoever the next guy up is, is going to get a ton of money and people, they're not overpaid. They're getting fair value of what the market dictates and what their teams want to pay them. So that's fair. And I think it was great for the Giants to sort of make it team friendly to. All right, Daniel, you you got better at certain things, but you still need to show a lot more to show that you're in the upper echelon and, and deserving of this huge contract. I really thought just the way Brian Dayball came in there and just maximize everything that they had on that offense and minimize the turnovers for Daniel Jones. That was the biggest part for me where it played it safe. Don't turn the ball over, accentuated his, his run game. That's really kind of where he made the most of his big plays and wasn't afraid of, all right, if this guy gets hit running it, he's going to fumble. He kind of unleashed that like, okay, go out there and run and, and, and make sure we keep this ball security. So, now for Daniel Jones to take that next step is not just not turning the ball over. That can't be his best asset. It, it has to be, I'm leading this offense. I'm consistently making big plays. I'm still not turning it over, but I'm the focal point and I'm the guy that's getting this offense going, not just squeaking by with 20 points a game, but okay, we're putting up, you know, we're in the top 10 in scoring and, and offense. And so that's really, he still has a lot of huge strides that he has to make. And it's really was team friendly, but also fair to where Daniel Jones is in his career. 
You talk about strides he needs to make. Now, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but if I remember correctly, he took a lot of his snaps from the shotgun. And ideally, I think you want your quarterback to be able to also work under center. So that being said, I mean, can they continue having Daniel Jones play primarily from the gun or, or at some point do they need to mix it up? And then what else can he do to take the next step to maybe get into the discussion of being a top 10 quarterback? Yeah. Offenses always have to evolve because now you've got a whole year of what we see in Brian Dable and his offense and what he's trying to do to win games, you know, and then the playoff game, that's not good enough. <laughs> when you play a really good team, that's not good enough. And when they were winning games and scraping by it, you were at all the games. It wasn't as if they were putting up 30 points. They were they were fighting and clawed and made they made plays down the stretch. That was really the Giants' calling card of hang in, hang in, hang in, hang in, make the plays at the end. And that's a tough way to sort of sustain year to year. You got to just be prolific as far as if you want to compete with the upper echelon. So, you know, the the offense as a whole has to evolve, where Brian Dayball as a play caller has to evolve and accentuate let's say these new playmakers that they do have on offense, how do we evolve on offense? How do we get Daniel Jones under center more? How do we do more with everybody, but particularly Daniel Jones? And, you know, he just has to do a better job of, okay, I'm conservative, make a play here and there, but consistently get, get downfield, go to two, second read, third read, and and make plays and feel confident in the pocket of, okay, if I'm hanging in there and I'm looking and, I, and I'm going to different – uh, different receivers and different options that I'm, I'm not going to make a mistake that I'm not going to get stripped again that so he really has to just take a, a, a lot a bigger step with his confidence of being a playmaker and uh, along with Dayball and that offense evolving and finding new ways to accentuate what he does well there's a theory that Daniel Jones and Saquon Barkley are attached at the hip that if you remove Saquon from the equation Daniel becomes a totally different player, despite the fact that they've added, you know, the Wallers, the Jalen Hyatts and so forth. Do you still see that as being the case if it if it is indeed the case or, you know, is, is like you said, is this offense going to just evolve? Yeah, that's and you say that because it's been shown, it's been proven when you watch the Giants offense. It's it's yes. When when Bark, when Saquon does Saquon things, that's when they're they're the best version of themselves. And it really hasn't been proven that Daniel Jones is the – you take Saquon away that they can be prolific. Now, last year it was, you know, pulling guys off the street to play receiver and the injuries they had in the offensive line. You can, you can put a lot of reasons behind that not happening. Okay, now you're going into this year and saying, okay, we, we think we have improved. We think we have improved our talent. We think our offensive line is better this year. Our young guys are going to be even better. And now let's see how this offense evolves. Let's see how Daniel Jones plays. Of course, you want Saquon Barkley to be on the field with him. You want all your talent to be on the field together. But what has been shown and what has been proven is that Saquon Barkley, as the Giants offense goes, Saquon Barkley goes, the Giants offense goes. And until that's shown otherwise, you just really have to think that that's the way they operate. Mark, we've been talking primarily about the offense, but I've got to ask you about the Giants' defense. Wink Martindale, the coordinator, still wink, you know, still aggressive yeah, and everything. But he also talks about positionless defense and just being able to get different guys to do different things and whatnot. When you look at the defense right now, 
where's the strength of that unit and where's the biggest concern? Yeah, well, you know, I think the front, the way those young guys and Dexter and Thibodeau came on there at the end and you went more out of Aziz and Ojolari to come forward there. And I think you know, the versatility is is a, sh- a strength of Wink being able to mix and match and put people in different positions and on the front and also on the back end with the Xavier McKinney's of the world and those sort of guys. And I love Deontay Banks, the, the draft pick of Deontay Banks, because you know, we, a lot has talked about about positionless players, but a guy that can play a position, you say, go out there and cover that guy and smother him. That uh, any D coordinator would want to have that instead of trying to say, let me out scheme somebody when you know you can rely on it. And Deontay Banks has that potential. He may not be that right away, but when I evaluated him for the draft, he really was that that sort of guy that has a lot of that potential. So, you know, I just think overall that the the defensive talent that they have has been really good to match what. Wink Martindale does, and he knows that. That's what you really want, that perfect blend of when your coaching staff and your scouting staff, the coaching staff knows exactly what they want in players, and the scouting staff can go out there and find those guys to match it up. And it's not a, well, we we need this sort of guy, and the scouting staff is putting that the different sort of skill set in there, and there's not the nice synergy together with what the coaches want and need and what the scouting staff is evaluating. So I think the Giants have really done a, an excellent job of matching what their coordinator does with, with the talent that they're bringing in. And, you know, I don't see huge, you know, the linebacking core, but they've even improved on that with, uh, you know, the signings in the offseason. So I don't see any glaring weaknesses uh, right now. How much do you think the Giants have closed the gap with Philly and Dallas? You know, I think Philly's still the front runner, not just in the East, but in the whole NFC. And, you know, I'm just, just, you know, they may have gotten better. You talk about getting better. It's, it's rare that you see a team you're within a few plays of, of winning the Super Bowl, go, go out there, lose a ton of guys and then bring a ton of guys back and then maybe even improve on the guys that they lost from the year before. So they're still there for me. Dallas is, that's the wild card where, you know, they've kind of hit their ceiling and how good is Dak Prescott and, is he the is he he hasn't I talk about prove quarterbacks have to prove and take that step and he really hasn't shown and taken that step to say you know what everything's not perfect around me I can still raise the level of everybody else around me and he hasn't gotten to that point so I think it's real close now that the Giants has sort of closed the gap more so with Dallas than Philly uh you know especially with Philly they played against each other last year so you know, I think it's really neck and neck right there now with, with the Giants getting better. And I don't know how much better the, the Cowboys have gotten. And with the unknowns with with Dak and does is a seat outside of CeeDee Lamb, is there somebody else that really scares you on that offense? So it'll be uh, it'll be a battle there to see for that number two spot. And what about the play calling situation? I mean, the, the Eagles lost both their coordinators to head coaching jobs down in Dallas. McCarthy's taking over for Kellen Moore on offensive uh, play calling. How much of that is, is a wild card in, in just, you know, assessing how the giants have closed the gap, you know, since they were able to retain their, their coordinators. Yeah. I think the, with the Eagles, they'll be fine. Maybe even better with Sirianni. Since Sirianni is the head coach and an offensive guy that, that that'll be just fine. And the, the Jalen hurts playing at an MVP level and all the talent they have. On defense, especially to go down there and ask Eagles fans after that Super Bowl, they may think they got better with the coordinator position after what Gannon put out there in the Super Bowl. So I, I don't think you – I'm from Philadelphia, so I don't think you find any any Eagles fans down there shedding a tear about Gannon going and, 
getting to sigh in there, they they probably feel like they got better. And with the Cowboys, with with Kellen Moore, they were prolific during the regular season. The Cowboys have shown that over the last few years. During the regular season, they can steamroll the steamroll teams and put a lot of points on the board, put a lot of yards out there. It's big games and big moments in the playoffs. That's where Dak has to come through. That's where whoever the, now McCartney's coordinator has got to come through, calling the plays. That's what really will show and tell. Because I think during the regular season, you'll see a lot of the same regular season Cowboys. It's really about big moments and big games that separate the good from the great from the Super Bowl level. All right. Now, final question for you, Mark. The Giants kind of caught everybody by surprise last year. You know, they had a, a solid core, um, but Brian Dable came in first time head coach, worked with a coaching staff that, you know, different guys that he knew, some that he didn't know, that hadn't worked with previously. Nine, seven and one, a playoff berth. The league has now had a year to watch the film and catch up. So that being said, how does a team in year two of this this uh, fairly new regime, reinvent itself to keep the opponent on edge. I mean, there's only so much I think you can change. Yeah. Where can the Giants change to maybe, you know, tweak things and keep opponents, you know, guessing? Yeah, as I mentioned about the offense evolving, as Brian Dable as a head coach has to completely evolve to say, all right, now we're not we're, we're people know we're formidable now we're a good team and that's a whole different experience of maybe getting slept on and, and undervalued when you go playing games and even as they were winning you're like okay this is going to end at some point they can't keep this up and they just kept keeping it up of hanging around and, and winning at the end but yes they have to evolve and for giants you have to think and look our talent's better you know, you looked at they were pulling. I mentioned the receivers that were the guys they were just pulling off the street. DBs too in corners they were just pulling off the street in some games. Where okay, now we feel we're better because our overall talent level is better, and you're hoping your quarterback, your franchise quarterback, is better as well. And okay, our first time is great as masterful. I thought Brian Dable was runaway coach of the year last year. That he'll be better. You're hoping your coach of the year is better as well and the continuity of having everybody together for a whole year that you'll be better with that. And a major part is the confidence that maybe even during the, they, I'm sure they were confident during their stretch where they were winning and all that, but now it's okay. We know we can do it. We know we can win games. We, we know we're a playoff team. We're confident going into this year of saying, yes, we're going into games winning and, and that we're going to win these games and be a really good team. So with all those factors, uh, I think, there should be a lot of optimism what's going on there. He is Mark Ross. He's an NFL network analyst, former New York Giants vice president of player evaluation. Mark, I can't thank you enough for coming on with me and just dropping all the knowledge that you shared. Sure thing. Anytime. All right, Giant fans, that's going to do it for this edition of Locked On Giants podcast. Make sure you keep it here. We've got so much more coming up, including a look at the New York Giants 2023 opponents with each of our Locked On hosts. For Mark Ross, I'm Patricia Trena. We will see you again tomorrow, Giants fans.